If one solution to aging would exist like a silver bullet, then Mother Nature would just discover that in the process of evolution. I think it's the next 10, 15 years is going to be super critical. And we need to survive and not only survive, but manage our level of health, both physical and mental one. We're all going to live much longer than we expect. So now it's the time to refine and rediscover and revisit our view on our own health. Uh, it's time to take back responsibility. Welcome to the Melanie Avalon Biohacking Podcast, where we meet the world's top experts to explore the secrets of health, mindset, longevity, and so much more. Are you ready to take charge of your existence and biohack your life? This show is for you. Please keep in mind, we're not dispensing medical advice and are not responsible for any outcomes you may experience from implementing the tactics lying herein. Are you ready? Let's do this. Welcome back to the Melanie Avalon Biohacking Podcast. Friends, it is so exciting to be back today with Sergey Young. His work is pretty much everything I'm obsessed with. The science of longevity and the realistic future of what that looks like. His book is absolutely mind-blowing and very inspiring about the developments that are currently happening and that are on their way when it comes to extending our health and our lifespan. So it was really an honor to be back here today with Sergey, and I can't wait to see all this future work, and I can't wait for you guys to check out this episode. The show notes for for today's episode will be at melanieavalon.com slash growing young. Those show notes will have a full transcript, so definitely check that out. There will be two episode giveaways for this episode. One will be in my Facebook group, IF Biohackers, Intermittent Fasting plus Real Foods plus Life. Comment something you learned or something that resonated with you on the pinned post to enter to win something I love. And then check out my Instagram, Melanie Avalon. Also find the announcement post there about this episode. And again, comment to enter to win something that I love. If you're enjoying this show, it would mean the absolute world, world, world. If you could take a moment and write a brief iTunes review, it helps so, so much more than most people realize. So thank you so much in advance for that. If you'd like to learn more about my show and what I'm doing and all the things, definitely get on my email list. That's at melanieavalon.com slash email list. I have a very exciting announcement, friends. I have officially launched a TikTok channel. I've been on Instagram for a while, but it is time for TikTok. And with the channel, I'm going to be posting daily, very high quality, awesome biohacking content, tips and tricks, things from my life. And I really want to bring the glam to biohacking because I feel like biohacking can be very male-centric or focused on a certain type of person. And I just want to break that stereotype and bring all the sparkles. So please join me there. My handle is Melanie Avalon Official. Please let me know what you'd like to see from me, what you think of the content. I do feel pretty shy about it. So please join me so that we can be friends and just go on the most epic biohacking adventure. Okay, friends, Spirulina update. It is still coming. I know it's been taking a while. It's just because I want to make the most ideal Spirulina tablets on the market, ones that are tested for purity and potency and to be free of all pesticides and just the highest quality. So we've got that Spirulina source. It tastes awesome. The issue we're experiencing is that in order to make it into tablets, it requires another ingredient. If you are currently taking Spirulina tablets and they say they are one ingredient, they are not one ingredient. There is something in there that is helping to keep that structure. So we're trying to figure out which route to go with this. It's really fun because I keep trying different samples. I think I know which one I like the most, but we'll see which one I end up picking. 
Either way, I really love the taste of our spirulina. It doesn't taste fishy or algae and I really experienced the benefits. So stay tuned for that. In the meantime, you can get my other Avalon X supplements at avalonx.us. Friends, have you jumped on the serapeptase bandwagon yet? That's what I launched with. And to this day, it continues to be my most favorite supplement ever. It's a proteolytic enzyme created by the Japanese silkworm. When you take it in the fasted state, it actually breaks down non-living problematic proteins in your body. So it can help address an array of issues. Like I said, it will clear your sinuses, calm inflammation, It may help reduce cholesterol. Studies have shown it can break down amyloid plaque. It can help alleviate pain and so much more. I take it daily. It is one of the most important supplements in my arsenal. This is the new year. Start it off right. Get some serapeptase. You can get 10% off with the coupon code MELANIEAVALON, as well as a 20% off code when you text AVALONX to 877-861-8318. That's AVALONX to 877-861-8318. Those codes will also work with my fantastic partner, MD Logic Health. For that, go to melanieavalon.com slash mdlogic. And of course, all of my supplements I formulated to be the very best on the market. They're tested multiple times for heavy metals and mold. They're free of all common allergens as well as problematic fillers, which goes back to that whole spirulina formulation issue I was talking about. They come in glass bottles to help prevent leaching of plastics into ourselves and the environment. And we even use the minimal amount of stickiness required for the labels to help with our environmental impact. To get these fantastic products, go to avalonx.us and definitely get on my email list so that you don't miss the Spirulina launch special. For that, go to avalonx.us slash email list. Another resource for you guys If you struggle with food sensitivities like I do, you have got to get my app, Food Sense Guide. It's a comprehensive catalog of over 300 foods for 11 potentially problematic compounds. These include things you may be reacting to, like gluten, lectins, FODMAPs, histamine, oxalates, sulfites, thiols, whether or not something is a nightshade, and so much more. It even includes autoimmune paleo AIP status. You can learn about the compounds, create your own list to share and print, and finally take charge of your food sensitivities. It is a top Apple app, often in the top 10 for the Apple food and drinks charts. And friends, get it now because I'm going to be updating it to a subscription basis soon. So you definitely want to get grandfathered in for life at one super low price. With the subscriptions, by the way, I'm going to be implementing some pretty cool features. So I need to do subscriptions to help support that. So like I said, get it now before we change to subscriptions. You can get it at melanieavalon.com slash foodsenseguide. And one more thing before we jump in. Did you know there are over a thousand compounds found in conventional skincare and makeup in the U.S. that have been banned in Europe due to their toxicity? If you are using conventional skincare and makeup, you are directly putting into your bloodstream toxic compounds, including obesogens, which can literally cause your body to store and gain weight. So if your diet's not working, you might want to think about what's happening with your skincare and makeup, as well as carcinogens linked to cancer. I'm not making this up. And just endocrine disruptors in general, which mess with our hormones. Thankfully, there's an easy solution to this. There's a company called Beauty Counter and they were founded on a mission to change this. Every single ingredient is extensively tested to be safe for your skin so you can truly feel good about what you put on and their products really work. I am obsessed with their overnight resurfacing peel, 
their vitamin C serum. They have shampoo and conditioner, skincare lines for every skin type, and incredible makeup. It's so amazing that Tina Fey actually wore all beauty counter makeup when she hosted the Golden Globes. So yes, it is high definition camera ready. You can shop with me at beautycounter.com slash Melanie Avalon and use the coupon code cleanforall20 to get 20% off site-wide. You can get the latest updates from me, specials, sales, samples, and so much more on my email list. That's at melanieavalon.com slash cleanbeauty. And you can join me in my Facebook group, Clean Beauty and Safe Skincare with Melanie Avalon. People share product reviews and their experiences, and I do a giveaway every single week in that group as well. And lastly, if you're thinking of making clean beauty and safe skincare a part of your future, like I have, I definitely recommend becoming a Band of Beauty member. It's sort of like the Amazon Prime for clean beauty. You get 10 percent back in product credit, free shipping on qualifying orders, and a welcome gift that is worth way more than the price of the year-long membership. It is totally completely worth it. And I'll put all this information in the show notes. An important announcement, friends. My EMF blocking products are coming. Make sure you don't miss the launch special. For that, get on my email list at melanieavalon.com slash EMF email list. EMFs are actually classified by the IARC as a group 2B, possibly carcinogenic to humans. These are such a problem. We are exposed to them through our Wi-Fi, our cell phones, our AirPods, And they are linked to so many health issues, including anxiety, migraines, headaches, even fertility issues. This is such a problem. Thankfully, you can address your EMF exposure. I'm going to help with that with my Avalon X EMF blocking product line. So again, get on my email list at melanieavalon.com slash EMF email list to check that out. All right, without further ado, please enjoy my second conversation with Sergey Young. Hi friends, welcome back to the show. I am so incredibly excited about the conversation that I am about to have. It is with a repeat guest. That's how you know you have a good guest on the show. So a little backstory about today's episode. You guys might have heard the first episode I did with Sergey Young. His people first reached out to me about his new book that was coming out. And at the time, it wasn't out yet and a galley wasn't available, so I couldn't pre-read it. But I was so excited about Sergey work that I just had to bring him on immediately. And for listeners, I will put a link in the show notes to that first interview that we did. But now we are back because Sergey's book is actually coming out in August. And friends, it is incredible. It's called The Science and Technology of Growing Young, an insider's guide to the breakthroughs that will dramatically extend our lifespan and what you can do right now. And for listeners on this show, We talk a lot about longevity. (laughs) We talk a lot about lifespan. Usually I'm interviewing doctors and scientists and really going into that aspect of aging. And Sergey's book touches on all of that, but then it goes so much more beyond that into painting a very eye-opening view of what the future will actually look like when we implement these different lifespan techniques and science of longevity technology. And it really just blew my mind. (laughs) There are so many things that we can cover. So Sergey, thank you so much for being here. Hi, Melanie. Hi, everyone. I'm so excited to be here with you today. You know, one of the things I love talking to you because your excitement just shows through. It just, you're just glowing. I mean, maybe that's what happens when you focus on longevity. I don't know. Uh, yeah, it is. Uh, look, I'm genetically predisposed to to like excessive level of optimism. 
So you just need to be careful. You always need to have someone skeptical beside me. I love that. But that's actually something that you pointed out in the book was, you know, your history is not longevity the whole time. You've done a lot of investing and you talk about how you have a meter for a BS meter of sorts. Um, (laughs) So I was wondering, could you tell listeners who are not familiar with you a little bit about your personal story and what led you to writing this book today about the future of longevity? Perfect. So I'm 49 and uh, the beauty of being involved in the field of longevity, you need to, to be healthy happy and look young. So that's, that's the like a positive side effect of my mission. And uh, actually my mission is to change as many lives as possible. So I do appreciate the opportunity to spend one or two hours with you today, because this is the opportunity to share what we already discovered and what we managed to develop in the field of science and technology of longevity. The unfortunate reality, we all start with, we, we all start our interests in the field of health and longevity with a wake-up call. And I had two. One was lung cancer of my father back in 2005. He survived, but the quality of his life has never recovered. And for me, it was a story of extremely high cholesterol level. They wanted me to take statin. But I realized there's so many ways to go around this without taking medication every day till the rest of my life. This is where the interest into longevity started to develop. I kind of thought if I want to support this space, the development, all all these beautiful technologies, which will make us healthier in a very affordable and accessible way, the best way to do it is to like a launch of investment fund, which I did. I'm a founder of $100 million Longevity Vision Fund. I have the most amazing job in the world because we're looking at 200 longevity technology companies a year to invest in 10 of them. So many doors from you know, labs or you know, so many beautiful minds from entrepreneurial talent open up to me. And well, it's been amazing. So I thought if I spend time with the, with the most brilliant minds in the science of longevity, And if I'm spending time with the best entrepreneurs in this field, I need to share it with the world. So that's that's the background. That's the idea behind the book. It's been an amazing three years journey. I I did more than 40 interviews. I discussed human avatars with Peter Jackson, creator and co-creator of Lord of the Rings, Avatar, Hobbit, genome sequencing with George Church. Organ 3D 3D bioprinting of organs and organ regeneration with amazing woman with Martin Rothblatt epigenetic changes with David Sinclair. So look, it's just there's so many stuff that I learned, and well, this is what I put in the book. No, it's absolutely incredible, and just reading your book, all of the names like many that you just mentioned, and Lord of the Rings is actually my favorite movie series of all time. So reading the book, I was like, oh, it's all the people that I personally, people I've had on the show, and and the, the most brilliant minds that I'm just so fascinated by, and it's just such a wonderful. It's just such a wonderful collective, in my opinion. I have so many questions for you, but I, I'm so I'm just I'm really curious. You said that so you invest in about ten companies per year. You said yeah. So we, if you look at Longevity Vision Fund portfolio today, we have sixteen companies, and some of them have really amazing stories behind them. What's the one you're most excited about right now? Just a little bit of background. So I do believe that if we change the view of our body from biological perspective to more like an engineering one, 
Oh, this is where old car metaphor is relevant. So similar to the old car, we can extend resource of our body and mind if we can, for example, replace our organs. And that's why I'm, I'm very excited about a company called Lygenesis. They're based in Pittsburgh. What they do, they use our lymph nodes to regrow organs inside our own body. So they started with liver. Organ transplantation today is a huge problem. In U.S., I think the waiting list for organ transplant is uh, as long as 117,000 people today. And 17 people die every day just waiting for their donor. And the ratio of people who who are okay with with donating their their organs and the people who need them is uh, really unfavorable. And it's very expensive surgery. Like liver transplantation is six hundred to eight hundred thousand dollars. So you need to wait for a few months, and you the probability of success is not really guaranteed. So what Lightgenesis does is they split donor liver in fifty to seventy-five pieces. So here's the opportunity not to help kind of in one-to-one ratio, but like one donor liver can help seventy-five people. They use very simple laparoscopic operation to put this nucleus of the new liver in your lymph node. They obviously do treatment of that. And then in the course of three to six months, the new liver grows inside your body. So then, and it's actually, it picks up the function from your current liver, which is not working properly. And, And this is just amazing. And they've done so many trials with primates, with dogs, with pigs. And they just got FDA approval earlier this year. So they start human trials in the end of this year. And they will be able to help so many people to save their lives and then improve the quality of their life. What is more more exciting is their next program is with thymus, this small thing uh, inside our body or responsible for our immunity. And it's uh, what it does is it grows and it's working properly uh, when we are young, like before age of 20 or 22, and then it starts to shrink because mother nature thinks that you've done with your reproductive program, it doesn't really need you. So if we will be able to regrow thymus inside our body, well, that's just the opportunity to renew ourselves, even to reverse aging. And all the trials that I know, which had an outcome of reversing aging, do age reversal with the impact of like minus two or minus three years, involve some growth hormones to regenerate thymus. So that's, I'm, I'm super optimistic about this whole thing. So question about the liver, because the liver is often known as the organ that can regenerate itself. Does that mean that technology, well, you talked about applying it to the thymus as well. Like, is it limited by certain organs that have that innate capability to regrow or could it possibly be extended to different organs as well? They looking at more organs at the moment. Their next target is kidney, kidneys, I think. And they have more plants that I couldn't really release at the moment, but it's very exciting. I, I do believe that in 10, 20 years from now, within the near horizon of longevity, as I kind of say in the book, we will be able to regrow or replace or support so many organs. Actually, the two most difficult ones are heart and, and our brain. Okay. With the brain. Okay. Because it feels like if you replace the different parts of your body that it doesn't seem that it would affect your consciousness, but if you completely replace your brain, do you think it would affect your consciousness? Yeah. I'm, I'm not sure. Oh, look, and we're talking about something which can happen in 20 years from now. 
right? It's it's like having the conversation about internet and smartphones back in year 2000. In my humble opinion, to the extent we can predict the future, I don't think replacing the brain is the main avenue that we will take. I think it's it's going to be just much easier to reproduce our brain, our thoughts, our memory in the virtual world. So it's going to be like, we're going to be backing up our brain like every month or so. And then if you want, you can exist as a virtual avatar or as a robotic avatar. And in fact, actually, my resolution for the next year is to create a virtual avatar of Sergey Young. So, and uh, he's going to be working with me, doing Ask Me Anything events, speaking at conferences, uh, spreading the word about healthy longevity and changing people's mindsets and lives. For the first three or six months, it's going to be his learning process. And then, you know, it, it can help me to like double down on my mission to make the world a better place. But this is really early stage. And we at LVF, at Longevity Vision Fund, we wanted to invest in human avatars. But we were struggling to find like a solution. Is it going to be robotic avatars in the future? Or it's going to be virtual avatar, uh, avatars. And it seems to me that it's so much easier and more uh, efficient to reproduce us in the virtual environment. So, and it's a pity to realize that we might be going into virtual avatar avenue. But I, I did make friends with Professor uh, Tachi from Japan. He was the one, and I interviewed him uh, for my book. He was the one invented the human avatar idea back in 1980 and he still calls it teleexistence uh, and we were looking at so many companies who reproduce us in the virtual and robotic uh, world so i'm very excited about this technology not for everyone but like my idea is that it can actually support a lot of cross-generational wisdom transfer so i would i would love to have an opportunity to speak to my grandfather he's unfortunately passed away 25 years ago but if I can spend like an hour of my time a month with his virtual avatar, uh, uh, you know, I would still miss this time and continue to learn from his wisdom. This is crazy. And I know for listeners, if this is the first time you're hearing of all this, it might seem <laughs> a little bit out there. But I promise if you read the book, there's so much reality happening with all of this. So is it sort of like the difference between with the avatars, like having physical documents compared to like our cloud-based system now? Yeah, just a little bit. Yes, exactly. And yeah, I agree with you. We shouldn't really shock the audience with the picture of far horizon of longevity. And this is the set of technologies which are going to be available to us in 25 to 50 years from now. And I do believe by that time, we would solve all these scientific and technological problems, but we would, need still, we would still need to solve like morality of immortality issues, all the ethical problems of today's world. So in addition to creating science and technology to extend our life, we would need to create life that we want to extend. So that's, that's really far away. And, and as well as audience, I'm, I'm actually expecting that with combination of excitement and fear. But I can tell you, and I can promise you, there's something more immediate that we can do now or we're going to see and use in the next 10 years from now, like what I call a near horizon of longevity innovation. And this is more feasible, more kind of friendly, more ethically obvious. And, uh, and the good news, it's more affordable and accessible. We will be able to help so many people. I'm, I'm not interested in developing like longevity solution for each. 
I'm interested in developing longevity solution for everyone who wants it. Hi, friends. Do you want to come hang out with me and Dave Asprey and so many other guests I've had on the show? You simply must come to the 10th annual biohacking conference. May 30th through June 1st in Dallas, Texas. And of course, I have a massive discount code for you guys. I went last year to the one in Orlando, and it was one of the most fun times of my entire life. I met and got to hang out with so many guests that I've had on the show. I met so many of you guys. And of course, there's lots of Danger Coffee and Dave Asprey approved meals and Dry Farm Wines. And that's just the social aspect. The conference itself is mind-blowing. They have this incredible expo where they have all the biohacking supplements, all the biohacking things. You can learn about them, try samples, meet the creators and founders. If you haven't tried a lot of biohacking things, it's a great chance to actually try them out in person. Things like brain tap, infrared sauna, hyperbaric oxygen chambers, and so much more. There are so many incredible speakers as well. You can hear talks from people I've had on the show like Paul Saladino, Dr. Daniel Amen, Dr. Sarah Gottfried, Dr. Mercola, Dr. Annika Becca, and that is just a few of them. I seriously had the time of my life last year, and I would love to hang out with you guys. And you can get 35% off tickets. Just go to melanieavalon.com slash biohackingconference and use the coupon code BCMelanie to get 35% off your tickets. That's melanieavalon.com slash biohackingconference with the code BCMelanie to get 35% off your tickets. This code can be used for general admission or for VIP access. Seating is limited. They do sell out. They sold out last year. So get your ticket now. And if you come, definitely let me know because I want to meet you. So hopefully see you guys in Dallas. MelanieAvalon.com slash biohacking conference with coupon code BCMelanie. Get your tickets now. I'll see you guys there. Well, actually, yeah, speaking to that solution concept, and then you already spoke a little bit about age reversal. Maybe we should define for listeners, in your opinion, what aging is? Because I think, you know, some people think with this quest that it's about, you know, not dying. (laughs) Some people think it's about aging backwards. Like if somebody was immortal, for example, what age would they exist at? So like, what is aging? (laughs) Yeah. Okay. So aging is, is a number of processes, which starts in your body and mind actually from certain age and we'll i'll come back to like certain age uh, thing which mother nature starts because you are not reproductively relevant anymore and obviously it's significant deterioration of uh, all of these systems in your body and like there's a famous framework that we all use called nine hallmarks of aging and just to give you an example of what is that so some of that is related to our genetics so it's like it's our gen- genomic instability and uh, or DNA mutations or something that we call uh, like genetic diseases when we were unlucky in our genetic lottery. So that can happen and this can influence aging. Well, sometimes it's about you have the right like genetic combination. I'm obviously simplifying the things, but just for the sake of everyone, even without, you know, degree in biology can understand that well sometimes your genes are okay but then the way they express themselves is not okay so it's either you know change or a certain damage of a chemical structure of dna the way our genes express them express themselves so that's called epigenetic 
dimension of aging uh, as well. Sometimes the, 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 well, there's uh, small things in our cells responsible for like the whole energy in the cells called mitochondria. Sometimes they are not really working well. So that's they contribute to aging as well. Sometimes our stem cells, because of the age, we become a deficient of the stem cells in, in our body. And it is so, it's more and more than I can tell about different processes of aging. What we need to understand, it's not one single thing. So if, if we would have, or if one solution to aging would exist like a silver bullet, then it's either mother nature would just discover that in the process of evolution, or it's brilliant human minds will discover this in the process of scientific research. So it's a combination of things. It's, it's one of the most complex tasks and challenges that we ever been trying to solve in, in, the, in the overall human uh, history. So then there's a lot of disagreement when aging starts. Some people say that it starts from the first day of your life. And I, I do believe I'm more conservative on that. I do believe it's somewhere uh, between year 40 and 45, where consolidation and combination of different aging processes inside your body starts to manifest itself. And you kind of start to feel that in your biomarkers and the way you feel, the level of energy and certain issues with your health. So then I just wanted to come back to your question about immortality. Well, the first thing, I'm not a fan of immortality. So I do believe that if you take out the death from the human cycle, life cycle, we're not going to be humans. So I'm not necessarily the guy who's working to make everyone immortal. Moreover, I do believe that we will be able to add 10, 20 or probably by the end of the century, like 50 healthy and happy years to our life. And that's already a lot. Just to be precise, in the last 100 years, the average lifespan on Earth increased from somewhere around 40 years to like 75 years. So we almost double that. So this trend will continue. Uh, it's not like we have an option whether our lifespan will be increasing or not. Having said that, the maximum lifespan on Earth was always the same. So like the oldest people live to 120 or uh, to uh, 122, to be precise, thanks to, thanks to this beautiful French woman who died somewhere around 20 years ago. So we've done a lot of preventing of early death, and this is what we are currently doing. And what will change in the next 10 to 20 years, in addition to preventing early death, like fighting with cancer, heart disease, with neurogenerative disease with diabetes, we will start to use technologies from near horizon of longevity, which is gene editing and therapy, regenerative medicine and organ regeneration, and longevity in the pill, like new class of drugs, which will reverse aging. Actually, to start breaking this barrier of 122 years. So that this is fundamental. This is something new. We've never done this before. And it's only the latest advancement in science and, and breakthroughs in technology allows us to do this. And then my final and funny comment on immortality. Even if we reach that at certain point of time, and I don't, be, and I don't believe it's going to be the case, it's not going to be like you're going to decide today if you're going to be immortal or, or not. It's going to be a series of your life extension decisions, like whether you want to extend your life by another five or 10 years or not, 
And uh, that's actually a huge uh, ethical issue. It's called suicide or plain gut in so many societies around the world. And that's it. But again, it's really far away. I'm more interested in bringing the, like, the best of gene editing, gene therapy, organ regeneration, wearables, early diagnostic to the world. So we all can enjoy plus 10, plus 20, extremely healthy and very happy years. Do you have a personal theory about why there is that sound barrier seemingly at age 120 or 122? If you look at the nature, we do have few species which can live well up to 200 years, like a Greenland whale. And also just a few species on earth don't have like an aging mechanism embedded in, in them. So they, they like forever young, playing with my name. And then if they die, it's, it's either because of, you know, competitors or adverse uh, external shocks, etc. So, but then I do think that modern nature was like planning us humans with a limiting belief of not necessarily being resourceful, like assuming that we have access to limited resources. So for us to continue to evolve as a species, then after we've done with our reproductive program, we would need to die to free up the space and resources to younger generation. Well, that's, that's my idea. It's, uh, I'm not sure if this is right or wrong. We, we still don't have the answer to, to that anyway. Is that like the altruistic theory? Yeah, obviously it's, it's continuation of my uh, idealistic and super positive view of the world. Well, moving forward to the different modalities and technologies that you're talking about. So gene editing, I would love to hear more about it. You talk in the book all about CRISPR and how it actually works. And this was the first time that I felt like I got sort of a sense of what was going on with that. But for listeners who are not familiar, so what is gene editing? Yeah, I mean, in in overall terms, well, there's so many things to talk about, but I'll just try to be as short and, and entertaining as I can be. So sometimes the whole or the part of our genomic setup is defective or missing. It can happen at the moment of birth, or it can change or mutate during our adult life. Any of these variations can disrupt how proteins are made in our body, and, and this in turn contributes to health problems or diseases, okay? So that's how important our genetic setup is. So then roughly uh, 20 to 30 years ago, we started to play around with this. So we, it, well, the first thing that we wanted to do is to sequence human genome. And it's just massive number of very complex things that we need to sequence. Like US spent, I think it was 13 years and $3 billion in the end of last century to sequence one human genome. It, it was a massive undertaking. They actually wanted to stop after year two, I think, because it, within the two years, they managed to sequence only 1% of human genome. Fast forward today, you can sequence them in uh, just a couple of hours, and it costs roughly around $200. That's it. Well, this is how far we went. And then, so after we understood you know, the, the way we construct it on a DNA level, the first, the first technology came into the uh, space. It's called CRISPR, but right now we have so many different technologies. We can do it inside human body. We can do it outside the human body. So I'll cover some of them, which I find very uh, interesting. But the first technology to do 
like an alteration of our DNA was developed and it's called CRISPR. Uh, this is actually like a genetic scissors who can cut and replace a part of your DNA. This is the simplest way to explain it. So then when it was developed 20 to like 25 years ago, as far as I recall, it was only available and tested on handful of humans. So there was literally less than 10 people in the world who can afford to use CRISPR because they were about to die because of their extremely rare and severe genetic disease. So they had nothing to lose on this planet. This is where experiments started. Fast forward today, we all participating, hopefully in a very positive, I'm actually positive about, about that, in the genetic therapy experiment because Moderna, AstraZeneca, a lot of different COVID vaccines is actually is a product of gene therapy. Imagine, and this is what we've done in the course of what, 30 years. What is brilliant about this whole thing, it, it makes us stronger as a species. I think I, just, I was just looking a month ago in the headline of one of the articles, and it says, Moderna vaccine has been developed in the course of two days. Can you imagine that? In, in like 100, 200 years ago, it took decades for us to develop vaccine. And right now, look at, at the COVID response in terms of testing, our ability to develop vaccines, our ability to roll out vaccines. We've done, like humanity, done an amazing job in this regard. And this is how far we went with our ability to influence our genetic setup. So what we can do is uh, there's, there's so many technologies uh, which is there. So I, I, I told you about the CRISPR, which is basically like a genetic scissors. It, we just invested in a company. It's called Tessera, and it's been founded by flagship pioneering, one of the most prominent biotech funds in the world. They, they're based in, in Boston. So they've developed like a new technology and they, rather than just replacing one gene, they can work on combination of genes. And this is very different because CRISPR is good like, like a scissors, right? Like cutting out the genes, but not in writing the new genes. And, and the Sarah approach, utilize, utilize like a separate, it's called mobile genetic elements, which is segments of DNA. And they can jump and around our genome and make extra copies of themselves so they can just literally write and rewrite our genetic code. So that's, that's called gene editing. That's the whole thing. The other example which I mentioned, like Moderna and AstraZeneca and you know, all these uh, vaccines, sometimes they use RNA. And, and, and this is like a separate uh, missing link between DNA and how it translates the signals to our body. So they're basically using different vehicles like uh, viruses to deliver proteins or genetic elements to our body. Or you can do like, if you speak to David Sinclair, the professor in Harvard Medical School and the author of New York Times bestseller, Lifespan, amazing book, amazing man with a beautiful mind and beautiful heart, you can actually even influence the gene expression. So one of the technologies says, okay, guys, we don't want to really work with DNA. It's, it's too important. It's too fundamental. But let's just try to switch on or switch off some of the genes which are already existing. So that's called epigenetic reprogramming. But again, you know, I, I just don't want to bother you with a lot of details. But, but coming back to basics, 
first time in the history of humanity, we have an opportunity to alter and 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 redefine our genetic makeup. And and in addition to like COVID vaccines, we can work with rare genetic diseases. And while there's, there's special kind of diseases called rare diseases, while they call rare, they're not that rare. Four hundred million people on Earth are suffering from rare diseases of genetic and non-genetic nature. So we have an opportunity to save lives and improve the quality of lives of these people. So I'm, I'm like super excited about this whole thing. For listeners, I've had David Sinclair on the show twice. So I'll put links in the show notes to his books. Lifespan is one of my favorite books of all time as well. It's something that you actually pointed out about the, the genetics versus epigenetics. So I think this is kind of funny because I think most people not in the biohacking longevity sphere think genetics trump epigenetics. I think people in the biohacking longevity sphere often think epigenetics are more important than genetics. You talked in your book about how some people actually do theorize that genetics are actually more influential than epigenetics. So I don't know if it even matters, but between the two, do you think genetics or epigenetics are the driving factor in everything? Yeah, well, I do think it's the epigenetic uh, like a avenue. It's just one of the tools for us to make sure our DNA work. So then your choice is like try to influence that without touching DNA and just uh, managing expression of that, switch on, switch off. Or you can try to handle this on genetic level. So in my terms, and again, I'm, you know, I'm not, I have three degrees, but none of them in biology closest. I went to biology was chemical engineering, which is actually pretty helpful in, in our field. I do think it's just using epigenetic therapy is just one of the ways for us to make sure our DNA works properly without you know, ignoring the fact whether, whether we have some genetic muta- mutations or not. Major question about the advances that happened with the history of CRISPR and gene editing, because you talked about how, you know, they did 1% of the genome and now they've done the whole thing and we can do it really fast. How do we get those advances? Is it artificial intelligence that allows us to make advances so fast or what's the timeline of all of this? Yeah, it's everything related to computer power and therefore like the quantity of the changes, the magnitude of the changes there help us to create uh, artificial intelligence and and mine a, a lot of data. And this is what genome sequencing and gene editing is about. So it's like, if, if you want to simplify the things, it's just enormous uh, spike and exponential growth of computing power, data processing power, creation of artificial intelligence, which happened in parallel with decreasing the cost of that. So that's like Almost everywhere we invest in Longevity Vision Fund, within Longevity Vision Fund, as a, as a particular component of, you know, big data mining or artificial intelligence. Even, even if it's like affordable ultrasound devices, they, it's a company called Ecoimaging. And by the way, it's an interesting story. So ultrasound device in, in the hospital next door costs somewhere between hundred and $200,000 for you right? It, it does require doctors to operate with at least two years of education. And it's all done by human eyes. What Ecoimaging does, they created the device which costs $2,000, which is 50 times less. 
than uh, ultrasound device, like a, a non-portable ultrasound device machine. What it does, you do all the scanning, and it can be done by nurse or even by you if you are in an extraordinary situation. All the scans go to the cloud. Then it's, it's, then it's pre-analyzed by artificial intelligence. And then it's you, the nurse, and doctor can receive like a 98, 99% pre-analyzed set of scans pointing out to a particular problem on your scans or your organs that uh, you do there. So like, is it traditional medical device? Yes. Does it have all this amazing component of getting the health data and analyzing this and, and give an opportunity for human intelligence and artificial intelligence to coexist and cooperate? Yes, as well. Are there checkpoints in place for the artificial technology, like for intelligence, does it ever make errors? Like, is there the possibility with all of this exponential growth that artificial intelligence could, you know, draw the incorrect conclusions and then just run with it? Yeah. I mean, there was a number of cases, they are outside biology, but like when it's people who are going to write the rules for AI and obviously they have, you know, all these stereotypes and, and uh, right and wrong paradigms behind that. But Overall, I do think that we humans tend to see world in a very binary terms, like it's either black or white, one or zero, and we're so mutually exclusive in our thinking. So I do believe that the artificial intelligence and, and human intelligence will coexist, will co-integrate, both on the level of like a working and, and do like early diagnostic, and I'll give you an example of that on the level of human brain AI integration. Remember, there's so many things that we thought are incompatible and cannot be integrated that we integrated later on. So if you look at, for example, imagine you've done an MRI. Uh, and well, this is what I've done. June 8th this year, it was my annual health checkup date. And I, and I, I do think it's the most important date every year, the date of your uh, medical checkup. My wife, I have a you know, different idea on what is the most important day. If you listen to me, so what has happened in the last two years? So I've done full body MRI. And then it's not only radiologist who looks from my scan. First, it's done by artificial intelligence. And then radiologists check whether the conclusions are right and or is anything I need to be doing on the basis of this conclusion. So like, let's look at early stage breast cancer. So if you put radiologists under time pressure, and that's unfortunate reality for their work today in the healthcare system, again, for early stage cancer, not for the late stage, they're sometimes like 38% right in uh, their understanding and their ability to detect early, very early stage of their breast cancer. Okay, so that's the figure. Again, this is for amazing doctor uh, just under time pressure. But then if you ask combination of human radiologists and artificial intelligence to analyze exactly the same scan, the outcome of this is 98% detection of early stage breast cancer. Imagine that. Well, this is amazing. And again, we're going to be coexisting with that and we're going to leverage the best of both minds to do that. And, and this is very important because cancer is not a kiss of death anymore. It was the case 20 or 40 years ago, but not today. So if you do early diagnostic of cancer, then your like a probability of your recovery is from 90 to 100% for, 
for some of the cancer types. Imagine that. That's why I saved so many lives just by pushing people to do their annual checkups. And they called me up like, Sergey, you saved my life. And actually, after a few calls like that, this is when I decided to work on longevity. I thought there's nothing more important that I can bring to this world. If, and if this is so simple, then I should leverage this to help billions. I really applaud you for encouraging listeners to, you know, take things into their own hands as far as, you know, monitoring their blood work and getting their tests and actually speaking to all of this, because I'm always getting blood tests to see where I'm at with everything. Interestingly, my last set of labs, I got the lab results back and they just, they didn't seem right. Like certain levels didn't seem like they were even possible. And I reached out to the lab company and I was like, is it possible these are incorrect? They reviewed it and agreed and sent me a new test slip because they said it probably was wrong. I don't know. I guess it just speaks to the importance of having lots of eyes on things in the future, you know, both human and artificial intelligence. Yeah, exactly. Well, this is a great point and it's great illustration for so many things like, and one of the things always ask for second and third opinion. And that's okay to pay extra for that because right now we're living in a world of um, medicine, which is done only by humans. That's why, you know, humans can make a mistake. We all can make uh, a mistake. So that's why I do think it's important to be like really proactive and get in this second or third opinion. If you are in a difficult health condition or you think it's in a difficult health condition, I also... I think it's illustration of my other point that we today, we outsource so many health-related decisions to other parties, uh, which potentially could you know, have a conflict of interest. And I'm not blaming that, right? Like healthcare providers, insurance companies, big pharma, big food, governments as well. And I'm not saying you should be like the only one to make decisions on your own health, but you should be part of conversation. So I do think it's time to take responsibility and actually, well, enjoy it. Take responsibility for our own health. That's the opportunity. Hi, friends. An incredible fasting aid is coffee. Yes, I am all about the coffee. I am a huge fan of its health benefits, as well as how it can support your fast and really help with energy and fat burning. And I have a big announcement. The brand of coffee that I have been drinking for an entire decade now, I am no longer drinking. There's some drama, there's some science, and I'm about to tell you how to get a discount on my new favorite coffee. So I've been drinking the coffee formerly known as Dave Asprey's Bulletproof Coffee for literally a decade. I do not drink it now, so this is not a Bulletproof Coffee commercial, but I started drinking it because I so trusted Dave and his obsession in creating mold-free coffee because moldy coffee beans is a huge problem and a lot of people can get health issues, brain fog, and crash after coffee because of the mold control. Contamination. Dave has been talking about this for so long, so I really trusted him and I would drink Bulletproof Coffee, which I absolutely loved and loved that it was mold-free. Then there was some drama. Dave sort of got kicked out of Bulletproof. He might be going back. There's a lot of stuff going on with that. Follow him on Instagram if you want to learn more about that. He even talked about it at the recent biohacking conference. But in any case, <laughs> drama aside, he can no longer speak to Bulletproof Coffee as to whether or not it is mold-free. And he ended up making a coffee even better than Bulletproof Coffee, and it is called Danger Coffee, and friends, I love it. 
It's the first coffee that is not only mold-free, but actually can help you remineralize. Yep, that's right. Danger Coffee contains a patent-pending formula that actually remineralizes your body with more than 50 trace minerals, nutrients, and electrolytes. On top of that, it is super clean. I know people like to see organic labels. Friends, I have learned so much about the certification industry. And honestly, the best of the best is finding people that you trust who do extensive testing and third-party certification. That's what I do with my Avalon X supplements. And that's what Dave does with Danger Coffee. So with Danger Coffee, they use a process that far exceeds government and industry standards. And it is third-party lab tested. So you can rest assured it is free of mold toxins. As for the flavor, Dave selected these hand-picked farm direct beans for their quality, their superb flavor, and their elevated performance. I love the taste of it. It's much richer and more nuanced than Bulletproof Coffee. It's honestly one of the best coffees I've ever tasted, and it's so exciting to know that when I'm drinking it, I'm actually helping to remineralize my body. So that's right. If you want your coffee to contain antioxidants, anti-inflammatories, micronutrients, and help optimize your fasting, you want Danger Coffee. And of course, I have a discount for you guys. You can go to melanieavalon.com slash dangercoffee and use the coupon code MELANIEAVALON to get 10% off. Again, that is melanieavalon.com slash dangercoffee with the coupon code MELANIEAVALON for 10% off. This is my favorite coffee. Like I said, it takes some really good coffee and convincing biohacking health reasons to break me from my 10-year decade bulletproof coffee habit. But sometimes you just got to upgrade. And by the way, this would make epic presents for people. This can just become your go-to present. Not only will people love it, but you'll be helping their health as well. Everybody wins. MelanieAvalon.com slash Danger Coffee with the coupon code Danger Coffee. I agree so, so much. Actually, something that you were talking about with humans being the one programming the programs for the AI, something I'm actually a little bit concerned about, and I'd be curious your thoughts on this, is the potential role of gender bias in AI. Like I was reading studies that Google, for example, with their algorithms will show higher paying jobs to males rather than females, for example, in search results. And then just in the health world, historically, I think a lot of studies have been done on males. Do you think that's a potential issue or there'll be a more equalization of studying gender? What do you think about the role of gender? This is an extremely interesting topic, and this might be the topic for my next book. Oh, really? Oh, cool. I'm so excited. <laughs> yeah. Two years ago, I discovered, and I have to admit, I'm not proud of it, but I discovered the world of woman health. It was in conversation with few females, amazing entrepreneurs, and I, we just started to talk about longevity, and I realized that some of our trials has been done by white males with white males, and they kind of assume it's work for everyone. And if you speak to someone beside you, if you're a man and you speak to the woman beside you, you can realize that that's the world of health and longevity for a uh, woman. It, it's just completely different. It has so many different perspectives. So it's different in terms of reproductive health, and woman has... Uh, much bigger commitment time-wise and effort-wise and resources-wise for reproduction. For men, aging is a slow process starting in the age of 40 or 45. For women, it's, it's like a step change in menopause. For women, it's completely different degree of hormonal volatility. 
it's all about cycles, like including the monthly one. Woman is responsible for 80% of health-related decisions for the family and community. There's just a bigger degree of responsibility on the family level and for the health of other generations, like parents or kids. And I, I just rediscovered this whole fascinating world for me two years ago. So that's why my dream is, and, and I'm still haven't decided about the, the, the next book, is to look at longevity gaps between men and women, uh, only through the different, for you know, people of different colors and for people who are economically disadvantaged or, uh, disadvantaged or living in the poor or in the rich regions or in the zip codes. Some of the neighboring zip codes in the U.S. and in the U.K. have a lifespan difference of 15 years. Can you imagine that? Or uh, difference in the lifespan country by country can be like 10 years, 15 years as well. So um, I think it's a fascinating topic. And we need to learn from uh, so many humans that we have on earth rather than just assuming it's all the world is white and full of men. Are you seeing now changes as far as including women more and more in trials? Do I see that? Uh, yes. I think it's the level of two or five percent that I would expect we need to make a change. So what do you think it'll take? Like the way the system is currently set up, clearly it's sustaining itself the way it is with studying males. Is there some sort of catalyst that would make it necessary to include women more? Yes. I, so I do think the change will come not from the old players doing the new things. It's going to be new players disrupting the whole system. That's why, I mean, obviously, the, the, the theme of big tech, like uh, Apple, Google, Amazon, Microsoft, it's controversial for some of the people. But what I like about them, they're they looking at health as a new opportunity, but also they're looking at the issues of our health in a very digital way. So they have an opportunity for personalization. And this personalization goes far beyond a couple of gender types that we thought we had in the world. It's an opportunity. And then it might be an opportunity is going to be like male, female, or an opportunity to have ex a precise version of healthcare and medicine, which is designed for you. Well, I do believe that largest healthcare companies on earth in 10 years from now are going to be called Apple, Microsoft, Amazon, Google. And uh, unless the government and, and the society realize that we have amazing opportunity to leverage our human health data, making sure we protect the privacy of that. But it's just transformational for human beings. Like US, and I say it with a lot of love, has the most inefficient, the most expensive healthcare system on earth. We spend 18% of GDP on healthcare. This is awful. And like, and the results are you know, not you know, to the degree that we all deserve and expect. UK, which has longer lifespan, uh, uh, spends 8% of GDP. Singapore, which shares the top two uh, place on earth in terms of the health span and, and lifespan with Japan, spends 5% of its GDP on healthcare. We have an opportunity to disrupt healthcare costs. Imagine if we can save like 9% of GDP, like a half of healthcare cost. How many beautiful things we can do for the world and for US as well?
Actually, and you just touched on something that I really did want to ask you about, and that is the whole privacy factor. You were talking in the book about how like the price of different things on the black market and how people's health data is shockingly more, it's worth so much more than other things. So what is the role of privacy and everything? And what do people do with this health data that they're selling? Like, why do people buy it on the black market? Yeah. So what is happening? Science and technology became much more digital these days. So to draw conclusions, you need to have a massive number of health data samples. Okay. And they're not easily available today. And I'll explain in a second, why is that? So if you have, well, like mine or yours health data, it just in isolation would not be so valuable. But if you think about the database of very, and that's, that's a question, very comprehensive health data records, it goes up in, uh, up in the sky. So people are looking for the, like a higher number of data, which present the data from, you know, thousands or ten of thousand people and this is where it becomes valuable for medical research for developing uh, different technologies you, you can test so many hypotheses on on that so uh, and this is one thing uh, well the other thing why is that such a problem and why is that is so expensive think about this in some of the healthcare systems in the u.s 60% of exchange of information between hospitals or between hospitals and insurance company is done by fax machine. Can you imagine that? Every time they ask me to fax my records or something, I'm like, we're still in this age of faxing? Yeah. So when was the last time you've seen fax machine? I couldn't really remember this time. Yeah. But like, imagine this is not uh, digital. This is analog, right? This is just... Uh, you know, picture copy of your data records. And it works against us. Like in my office, I have like a bookshelf on all my data records and they all on paper and they all from, I don't know, 10, 20 different places, 10, uh, 20 different doctors. This is awful. There's, there's no like central data repository and some countries building that like Iceland, Finland, UK, Singapore. And, and that's the uh, it needs to be done on the government level and it needs to be regulated. And this is how we can protect our privacy. We can leverage this for our own benefit and not in the form of us receiving like hundreds or thousand dollars for our health data set. Like the gain that we will get from decrease of the healthcare cost is, is just going to be amazing and enormous. So that will actually protect our privacy having all of that information? somewhere yeah I, I i do think i mean if you are if you approach this from the government level this will be the solution going to be much more balanced if you outsource it to the big tech because big tech and has a very controversial relationship with privacy I, i'm still for the big tech i think my kind of convenience and efficiency gain by using my smartphone from apple is much bigger than the threat of me losing the privacy. And I don't do anything which I would hide from the world anyway. But then I will, rather than relying on my common sense, I would rely on regulation and, and the role of the government and healthcare authorities. Well, actually speaking to that, I personally had sort of a paradigm shift in that whole world because I used to think, oh, everything is safest if it's with me physically, like I have it. <laughs> in my apartment, lock and key. But then I got broken into and they took all my stuff and my hard drive. And I was like, oh, actually would have been better to have had it all 
like in a cloud-based system where I can, you know, turn on and off access, I actually now feel (laughs) safer using that modality. So that does make sense. Yeah, that's true. And uh, what I realized, the first time I went to Singularity University, set up by Ray Kurzweil and Peter Diamantis, uh, two of the people who actually wrote the foreword for the book, like one of the lectures was about privacy. And in a nutshell, the, the whole takeaway was that, guys, you should assume there's nothing private in this world anymore. And I obviously, I mean, it's not that bad. Like whatever I do today, I should be able to explain to anyone. So that's just my paradigm. It was difficult to accept that, and I still don't want to believe in that, but that's the reality of today. I had a huge debate. I was like, should I get one of those apps that holds all of your passwords, you know, safely in one thing? I actually do, I don't know. I feel like accepting all of it and I feel better now using those modalities. So, and I do think it's probably the way of the future. So we shall see. You talked about precision medicine and, you know, making things really customized and unique. So I think, because you talk in your book about a lot of DIY diagnostics and wearables, and I I do think that is probably out of all the insane stuff you talk about in your book that maybe some of my listeners have, you know, have started to play around with. Like I'm wearing a CGM right now, for example. What do you think is the the future of all of that? And, And what are things listeners can do right now? Like I mentioned the CGM. Okay. So, I mean, remember my checkup day this year was June 8th. You should see me on June 9th. I was just full of sensors. And think about this. Like the car that you're driving is so full of sensors. You can understand like a a big and even a small problem happening. Why we couldn't apply the same approach to human body and mind? And we're starting to, to use that in our context. So like I'm, I'm wearing continuous glucose monitor as well. Uh, well, it's actually entertaining. I'm, I'm very healthy at my age of 49, but uh, to understand that, uh, you do it. So this is what I do. Once a year, I do Zeopat. And this is, uh, I think it's a device produced uh, by iRetin. This is a device you put, you put on your chest and it's, uh, it has a chip and it does electrocardiogram monitoring for like seven days in a row on your body. The only inconvenience, you couldn't swim in the swimming pool for long, but you can take showers, do other sport. And that's amazing. Then you, you take it away, you ship it to the company and they, they decode this and, and look how your heart works. What else? I'm using Aura Ring to look at my sleep cycles because after reading uh, Matthew Walker and, and uh, Why We Sleep book, uh, I changed my mind completely on, on the importance of sleep. I'm a big fan. I'm actually wearing, you should see me, a whoop on, on one hand and like Apple Watch on the other hand. I'm experimenting a lot with that. And I do believe if you think about wearables, we tend to think about wearables as like things which count our steps and show us time and notifications. It's not anymore. It's our personalized healthcare device. I do believe it's like Samsung, Apple Watch, you know, whoop, Fitbit. Will that couple of features in the next two or three years, like continuous glucose monitoring and like a blood pressure monitor? And I do believe this is like a 90% of, of the data that you want to collect and monitor about the work of your body. And so I would then, I, I was on Fitbit for so many years. And I still meet, uh, you know, miss my Fitbit time. But I switched to Apple Watch because Apple is investing a lot in the healthcare. And uh, I've just seen the 
report last year from Morgan Stanley saying that Apple might do like 50% of their revenue from healthcare by the end of this decade. So they're very serious about investing in uh, in that, and they might want, and they might want, and they and they can solve so many different problems, you know, done by old players. I'm still looking at the options to track my the, like a work of my brain, so I'm not really ready to discuss that. But it, this whole role of wearables and and sensors are transformational, and we need to start as soon as possible. So fast forward like 20 years from now or 30 years from now, I call it in the far horizon of longevity, I call it internet of bodies. Like you're obviously familiar with internet of things concept when you know all the devices are you know, interconnected and connected to the global not network, it's gonna be distributed anyway. Same thing will happen with our body and with our bodies. We all gonna be full of sensors. We all gonna be connected to the global distributed network which is going to be responsible for you know, uh, mining our data and giving us important conclusions, important warnings about the diseases that are not even at early stage, that just the beginning in our body. And uh, we'll, be, we'll be able to manage and fight that. And obviously, this will be a huge boost for our own productivity and health and happiness and longevity. For listeners, they know I love my aura ring. <laughs> it's um, one of my favorite things. And I'll put links in the show notes to interviews I've done with them. Yeah, so I think listeners will be pretty familiar with with all those things, which is incredible. Do you think as far as the monitoring, because I can see how you know monitoring the body, like you said, constantly for all of these diseases and things like that, I can see how that would be great for predicting or finding acute illnesses what I'm wondering about is like degenerative illnesses. Is there the potential for, you know, metabolic disease? Like, is there a solution for that in the pharmaceutical world? Or do you think lifestyle changes are, you know, what, what it's going to take to reverse those types of issues? Yeah, I, I'm wearing two hats. One is like investor and, and the guy who is big fan of science and technology. And the other one is a human being. So while we've seen some drugs actually recently approved to fight obesity, but I hate the idea of people eating industrial and processed food, increasing significantly their calories intake, suffering from obesity, and then needed to take drugs against that. This is just, we're just trying to replace this, this whole beautiful, like a vessel and, and beautiful, all the beautiful processes that mother nature gave to us and which is, which we can use. So I do believe lifestyle changes and then like a diet changes, physical activity changes. I like the best way to manage that. Wasn't lifespan down for the first time recently? Uh, here in the U.S. Just the U.S.? Yeah. So, well, that's, that's why I say this is we have... And again, unfortunately, and with a lot of love, and this is and it's nothing to do with doctors, actually. U.S. is almost like the only developed country on Earth where in the last five years, pre-COVID, pre-COVID, we had a decline of life expectancy and a, li and a, and a lifespan for like three years out of five. Wow. What do you think that says about the future of everything with, you know, the U.S. having a lot of these advances in technology, if it's not <laughs> panning out. Yeah, I mean, this is, uh, well, I do be, I, I'm not really in the, in, the, in the field of, so I have European passports. So I, I, I don't think I have like a moral right to criticize U.S. political and regulatory system. 
And then like a lot of innovations coming out from US because whatever things you invent, it's superior to the current practice and current cost and current efficiency. So that's that's a huge efficiency game. But I, I think it just reconfirmed my point that disruption will come from the from the direction that we don't expect this to come, like a big tech or you know, scientific and technological innovation happening in, in Boston, which I think is biotech capital of the world, or from LA and, and San Diego and, and Silicon, like from Silicon Valley, like California. But uh, I, I do believe uh, this is an opportunity for us to switch from biological to more engineering view to human health. And therefore, the science and technology will play a significant role to disrupt this whole thing. Okay, gotcha. Something else we didn't touch on yet, but it's a huge topic, and it's something else in the anti-aging field, and that's the role of stem cell therapy. Are you investing in any companies that work with stem cells? No, we don't. So, you know, obviously, stem cells are important, you know, for our overall health. And, and, and for, for our audience, uh, uh, stem cell therapy is just the use of the stem cells to treat or prevent uh, you know, a particular disease or condition. For some of the reason, from regulatory perspective, U.S. has very strict uh, view on approval and review of stem cells therapies. Uh, people started to abuse that. And there's this just, I think it's just a handful of stem cells therapies or interventions approved for the use in the US for very specific medical conditions, not for the general use. I'm usually, when people ask me, like, do I need to do this stem cells injection urgently? Do I need to go to uh, Mexico or to the islands uh, nearby, close to Florida to do that? I'm just saying, like, uh, if you're going to stay on longevity bridge for another 10 to 20 years, just by applying the current technologies, current approved therapies, taking care of your lifestyle choices, well, it's just life extension for another 10 to 20 years anyway. So do that and wait another five to seven years until we'll get more clarity on the stem cells, particularly on the side effect of it. And we can use that. So I'm, I'm really conservative. With that, I know some people, obviously, I'm part of the biohacking community, of longevity community, uh, even transhumanist community, while I'm not embracing immortality at all or cryogenic uh, preservation. And uh, yeah, obviously, I've been offered to do like a stem cell procedure so many times in my life, but I've never done so. I'm 49, and I do believe like for the next 10, 20 years, I'm going to be fine, just making sure I use all the opportunity that science, early diagnostic, checkups, lifestyle changes can offer me. Do you do any of the banking of cells? No, I haven't done this. So if this 10 to 20 years thing, so is it basically the concept that if we can make it 10 to 20 years, there'll be radical advances? Yeah, this is, I think Ray Kurzweil said it, like you just need to live long enough to live forever. You don't need to live forever. This is our choice. I think it's the next 10, 15 years is going to be super critical and we need to survive and not only survive, but manage our level of health, both physical and mental one. We didn't discuss this today, but we should. I think it's super important and, and you will enjoy this next 10, 15 years, just going on the discovery road, how your body works, how your mind works and what you can do to influence that. What are your lifestyle choices? What are the new pieces of technologies and diagnostic? This is a brave new world and we can really prosper there. And then in 10, 15, like a 20 years time, 
the world going to be full of completely different technologies and, and scientific discoveries that we can significantly and fundamentally change the way we age and in, even do like age reversals uh, measured by set of biomarkers. And we'll finally, we'll be able to break the sound barrier of 122 years. Hi, friends. One of the most valuable things that I do every single night of my life is my infrared sauna session. The brand that I use is Sunlighten. I did a lot of research on infrared saunas before deciding on them. Their saunas are so high quality. They're low EMF. And what I really love is they have a solo unit. That's what I have. And it's really great if you live in a small apartment, might be moving. It's just really an amazing investment. And they have incredible deals and offers on it right now. You can actually get up to $200 off with the code Melanie Avalon. Or if you're talking to a rep, just tell them that I sent you. And like I said, that will be up to $200 off. And that will also get you $99 shipping. Normally the shipping is like $600. So that's a really, really big deal. And if you do purchase a sauna, forward your proof of purchase to podcast at melanieavalon.com. And I will also send you a signed copy of my book, What, When, Why. If you'd like to learn more about the science of sauna, two resources. I interviewed the founder of Sunlighten, Connie Zach. I'll put a link to that in the show notes. And then I also recently did an epic blog post all about the science of sauna. We'll also put that in the show notes. All right, now back to the show. Yeah, I think that's one of the most exciting things for me personally. I mean, I'm nowhere near in the extent that you're in it, but just, you know, experimenting with all of these biohacking technologies and wearables and devices and things. And it's really, really exciting to, you know, learn more about your own biology and how to quote biohack it. And I just think it's a grand fun time. (laughs) And I just, I love um, bringing listeners along for the ride. So another question about the future of all of this in the book, you have a very substantial section on the potential concerns people might have of what this future might look like. So what do you think this future will look like as far as like humanity as a species? Will it create a new species? Will we have new social classes? Will the power system get disrupted? Are there concerns with all of that? Yeah. So I call it morality of immortality. The last chapter of my book, well, second to last, because I have a bonus chapter, which is twice as long as any other chapter in the book called wants to live forever, like 10 longevity choices that you should do today, not to wait for another 10 years. And funny enough, like when I submitted it, and it's a chapter about the ethics of longevity, the ethics of today's world. When I submitted it to the publisher, the, the initial feedback was like, sir, can you just take out this chapter? And I'm like, why? Why? And I know, actually, I thought they just hate this whole ethical idea. No, it's not. They said it, it's, it deserves to be a separate book. But then obviously I, what I told them, like every chapter, uh, every out, like tw- all 12 chapters of my book deserve to be like a separate book because nothing is more complex than human biology and, and uh, human ethics. So they agree to that. What I'm saying is if you ask people in US and UK today, and I'm using that because I have a data for that, whether they want to extend their lifespan, 65 to 75% of people say no. This was really shocking to me. I, I actually was in uh, in Vatican and the conference, uh, and 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 I had the audience with Pope Francis back in this time, back in 2018. And like, even if you ask like the best doctors in the world, and this is the conference that I attended, like 80% of them say no. Why is that? So I do believe that uh, we were like so focused on the science and technology 
but we 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 were not really focused on redefining the world, the, the, redefining the social norms, redefining our ethics. So a lot of people don't want to live and like extend their life in this version of the world. I'm always saying we have managed to create uh, a science and technology that can extend our life, but we haven't created the life that we want to extend. And this is, and the time is now. We need to start a global conversation around our, you know, ethics and moral choices, how we change the world for us to like and love the idea of living longer. There's so many things that we need to to fix, like inequality. We did discuss that. And and again, I, I just couldn't really explain through my altruistic and, and idealistic mind why people living nearby in, in, his, in two zip codes, which are really like next to each other, should have a lifespan difference of 15 years. And, and like some of the regions, like neighboring regions in London, have, uh, have even a bigger longevity gap. Why is that? Like right to receive healthcare, like in the most efficient and technological version of healthcare should be basic, basic human right. I actually believe we have so many dividing themes in today's society. A longevity and an and, and affordable version of longevity can be one of the few unifying themes which will solve the inequality inequality gap for people. So that's one. Well, the other one is our social structure, marriage, uh, career, retirement, has been created when we all were living somewhere between like a 50 and 65 years. So your life paradigm was completely different. So like we need to have the answers to the questions like, what will happen if I will outlive my children? Or what do I do with kids from multiple generations? how our marriage institutions should evolve. Two-thirds of the marriages go through divorce in the first five or seven years. This is awful. And so we need to redefine that. Will it be like a kids raising partnership with more degree of responsibility, even legal responsibility of two parents might be the case? I, I don't know the answer, right? I, and I, I'm not in a position to define the answers. We need to do this collectively. Like what will happen with my career? Will I have as many careers as decades in, in uh, my life. That's just the other question we need to solve or our relationship with mother nature. When I say we need to take back responsibility for our health, I also mean not only our health, but the health of our planet. Like if you live in 65 years old, you have an opportunity to live irresponsibly. Like you can drop plastic in the ocean and, and think, Okay, you know, next generation will sort it out. But we're all going to live to 150 years. We will face the consequences of our own actions. Is it an opportunity for us to adopt more responsible approach to relationship with the planet? Yes. It's a really beautiful chapter and I'm I'm really excited for listeners to read it because it just really makes you think about so many things. And I thought it was a very balanced approach to it because obviously whenever you have a conversation about ethics, it's very easy to get on one intense polarizing side of things. But I thought you painted a really clear objective picture of where things are going and optimistic. I didn't even realize, I love that you pointed out, like, for example, pollution 
we often think is, you know, getting worse and worse. But you talked about NASA doing studies and seeing that, um, was it pollution that was down or deforestation or? Yeah. So if you look at two largest uh, countries on Earth, in terms of population, so it's India and China, I think they have both have somewhere around 1.4 billion. These days, the forest area in these both countries increased by 10% in the last 10 years. Well, that's amazing. One of the key messages uh, that, that I convey in, 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 uh, in the context of longevity revolution, that environment around us is becoming more longevity friendly and more health friendly. I, I don't know if you know, but like invention of, of cyber crime made streets safer. Oh, interesting. Yeah, in some of the cities, I mean, obviously, they probably were pretty dangerous cities. Street crime went down by a factor of three to five in the last uh, 15 to 20 years. Can you imagine that? Well, it's partly because it's just much easier to to do a harm to us in the cyber network area and the internet through the internet rather than real life. So that's uh, that's one thing. But but there's so more... I do have more positive examples like driverless cars. So if your car is managed by a computer, not by you, mortality rates drop by a factor of 10. Wow. Yeah. And this is for even like for today's level of development driverless car, and they're going to be more and more safer. We obviously, we look, I mean, if you listen to the news today, I mean, you think the world is falling apart. It's not. There's never been a beautiful time to live in the world even today's in post-COVID time. And it's a time for renewal and rethinking. Or what was that? Like electric buses on the street. Two years ago, I I don't have a recent numbers, like China had 500,000 electric buses on the streets. And I I think at this time, US had like 2,000 or so. So we need to work on that as well. Hopefully it's it's just getting better and better. Or plant-based meat and fish. If we will replace the animal protein with plant-based protein, not for everyone, if you kind of fancy of, uh, of consuming it, uh, well, that's, that's a huge gain because industrial meat contains a lot of things that shouldn't be there, like antibiotics, like growth hormones, like E. coli bacteria. I was just speaking to the head of human longevity clinic in, in San Diego, and, I'm, I, and I was, my question was, what's your biggest concern? It's... it's I'm 100% sure it's just amount of sugar that we take with sugar drinks and, and all the industrial food that we consume. They said, no, our biggest concern is that we're becoming resistant uh, to antibiotics. Because imagine that, I think it's 70% of antibiotics in the US is consumed by animals and by fish on the farms, not by you know, us directly. That's a ridiculous, a ridiculous number. Like I know a lot of my audience is not vegan or vegetarian, but I think like the abysmal state of conventional agriculture is, I mean, it's just really, really terrible. It makes me sad that it gets, you know, if you have a animal inclusive diet that often gets lumped in, like it gets associated with the conventional agriculture system, which is just so problematic. So I'm glad that people are becoming more and more aware of all of that. What about the actual population of the planet and the sustainability just space-wise, food-wise? Yeah. So what are the concerns that people have around longevity or extreme uh, longevities? And, and concern number one is, is it going to be available for everyone? So, and my promise, uh, yes. 
the technologies and, and, and scientific discoveries that we're investing in through Longevity Vision Fund, and we are not the only ones to support the space. We have a brilliant community of enthusiasts in the science, technology, entrepreneurship, even in, on the regulatory front. Like the efficiency gain that we get through using these technologies is, uh, is improvement by 10 to 20, but not percent, times. Imagine that. So I do believe it's going to be affordable so, and, and accessible for everyone. And it's due to technology, not because we will just collectively decrease the prices and regulate the prices. So that's one. The second piece, like, will we have enough resources? And, and, and like two biggest resource constraints that, that we actually have in, in our mind. This is like the only place that we don't have abundance of resources is our mindset. So if you speak about energy, the cost of renewable energy production decreased exponentially in the last 10, 20 years. So that's, I'm not worried about this one. I, I think it's China and India closed, made a decision uh, a few years ago to close hundreds uh, coal electricity generating plants. And uh, funny enough, you, if, you, if you go to Beijing, I haven't been there for the last three years, but like the skies there, you can see the skies and pollution has decreased quite substantially. If you look at this, I'm not concerned about energy. I'm not concerned about food because if you look at statistics, 45% of food in U.S. goes to waste from our household, from supermarkets, from restaurants. Again, this is insane. We can just leverage this, even if we can leverage like one-fifth of this to feed people. I mean, it's, it's going to be amazing. And we overeating anyway. Like, there's a lot of disagreement in the scientific community what extends our life today, but there's only one agreement that caloric restriction, taking and consuming less calories, like 15 to 25% less than the usual, uh, usual intake, actually extends your healthy lifespan by three, five, or even like seven years, depending on, on the study. So I'm not concerned about food. Then the next question is like, what are we going to do with overpopulation? And we've, we've done enough studies to show some uh, striking and shocking numbers, how population of Earth will evolve in the next 80 years. So if you look at the one of the best ones, I think it was published in Lancet Journal uh, early last year. So what has happened? Reproduction rates per female in, in, in majority of countries in the world, with the exception of a few countries in the African continents, is well below two. So we, what will happen if you do like mathematical model of how population of Earth will evolve, it, this will increase to 10, 11 billions from today's eight by year 2050. And in the end of this century, we will have only 8 billion people on the planet. China will lose 600 million people from its population. If, if they don't respond to this challenge. So they're going to go down from 1.4 billion to 800 million people. And the same happening and same will happen all around the world. Think about this. So it's not like we have an option to work on longevity and increase the quality uh, of people who turn 60 or 70. It's almost like we just need to respond to these external shocks that we actually self-created. So that's the idea. So unless we work on that, we're going to be declining, you know, the planet, by the end of the century, we're going to be the planet with declining population. Will it plateau at that number or it'll keep declining? Look, I mean, frankly speaking, and we all do know the value or the lack of value of long-term planning in this world. So I don't think we need to like take these uh, figures at the face value. 
But it's important demographic trend. We would need to sort this out. I do believe we will work on that. And it's going to be a lot of response from a lot of countries on, or even on the global level to sustain demographics and for us still to be in a good numbers population-wise. But that's like a matter of decades of uh, focus and, and working all together. Is it a good thing, though, that it's trending down if our lifespan is trending up? Like if it was the opposite, where it was going up and our lifespan was going up, then we would maybe be in, more in trouble? Yeah, look, I, I don't know. It's In a way, it's it's uh, <laughs> it's artificial problem. Like cancels each other out. Yeah. So, uh, it, like, well, look, I, I have so many things on my plate, like Longevity Vision Fund, Age Reversal X Prize, like the global competition, pro bono competition for Age Reversal, like a book, like Longevity at Work pro bono program I'm doing with the largest corporation. I'm looking for countries to implement national longevity program. Again, this is all free of charge. Everything I do in longevity is, is you know, my contribution to the world. You know, four kids. And uh, so that's why I'm, I'm just trying to limit like a number of problems I'm trying to solve at the same time. So, well, this is the scenario that we need to respond to that. Okay, I, I love that. Well, thank you so much, Sergey. This has been absolutely incredible. And it's mind blowing all that you're doing for humanity. I cannot thank you enough. Was there anything you wanted to particularly draw attention to that we didn't touch on? So I'd like to stay in touch. So go to sergeyyoung.com. We have a, an amazing offer for book pre-order. You're going to have access to 12 videos called Longevity Video Academy. Well, and it's each video is, video is 10, 12 minutes. When, where I speak about different aspects of longevity from today to like long-term future. So I, I'd like to offer that. And this is free of charge. If you don't want to buy the book, that's okay. You go stay connected. We have a lot, plenty of stuff we're doing and newsletters. But my main takeaway is the following. We all will, we all, all going to live longer or much longer than we expect. So now it's the time to refine and rediscover and revisit our view on our own health and the health of, the, of our community, our country and our planet. Uh, it's time to take back responsibility. And I can tell you, it's not a difficult road. It's just amazing road full of uh, discoveries about your own health and the health of the people around you, how you can manage that. And this will make you healthy and happy. Thank you so much. That is so incredible. Literally, you just embody and envision everything I learn about and share with listeners. So I cannot thank you enough for your work. Open door anytime you want to come back on the show. I'm really excited about your next book. For listeners, we'll put links to everything that we talked about in the show notes. And again, the show notes will be at melanieavalon.com slash longevity. So Sergey, thank you so much. This was incredible. We'll have to stay in touch and talk more in the future. We should. Thanks, Melanie. Thanks, everyone. Stay healthy and happy. Thanks. Bye. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for listening to the Melanie Avalon Biohacking Podcast. For more information, you can check out my book, What When Wine, Lose Weight and Feel Great with Paleo-Style Meals, Intermittent Fasting, and Wine, as well as my blog, MelanieAvalon.com. Feel free to contact me at podcast at MelanieAvalon.com. And always remember, you got this.